What's up, everybody? This is Fred Ricciani. We have right here on the line a very special guest, a returning guest. She is an actress, an award-winning actress, an independent producer. She is an entrepreneur. She's in the Philly Tainment Hall of Fame. She has so many accolades. The, the list on her IMDb goes on and on. Brooke Lewis Velas. Brooke, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. How's everything going in the world of the Scream Queen? Fred, first of all, to you, to all the viewers, happy Halloween. You know, it's one of my favorite seasons, holidays, mm -hmm. time of year. And I, yes, other than being an actress and producer, I'm a proud Scream Queen. Fred, I am so proud of you. So we're going to like acknowledge you before we even go into your show. And thank you for having me back. It's been a minute. You and I go back like 10 years. And I am just so excited to be here. I am so proud of you. I want to acknowledge your accomplishments. You have grown exponentially your viewership. You are a rock star. You are a TV star. You are an incredible host in sports, but also in entertainment, everyone. And I want everyone to know that Fred has proven himself. You have mastered your art, my friend. And I wouldn't be back because you know I'm a snob and you know I'm a super <laughs> ultra professional. And I've been at this game for quite some time from the East Coast to the West Coast, go New York to Hollywood, Philly first. And so I am acknowledging you and thanking you for having me back. It's been a minute. I'm so excited to chat with you and your viewers, but you are crushing it. And I'm just thrilled for you. You're the, you're the best. We should just end this interview on that note. Okay, we're, we're good. But we won't. Don't worry. We, we won't, oh, folks. <laughs> and there's more. Congratulations for all of you viewers and fans of Fred who do not know, and I'm sure you all know, he got engaged this past summer. I'm so happy for you. Congratulations. Your fiance is beautiful. I see photos on Instagram. And you deserve love and happiness. Thank you so much. I, I can't thank you enough. You're so sweet. Thank you. And I got to thank you. Obviously, it's a and, and I got to congratulate you, too, because it's well, a belated congrats. It's been a while since we've had you on at the time. You were Brooke Lewis. Now you're Brooke Lewis Bellas. You are yeah. happily married and everything. So I got to ask you, how's life been for you these last few years? Obviously, it's been crazy with the pandemic and, and everything going on. You're happily married. You're also a, a filmmaker and entrepreneur. I mean, there's so much to juggle. How have you been handling the last couple of years? Thank you so much, Fred. And yes, it is crazy that, and thank you for getting my name right now. I am publicly Brooke Lewis Bellis and loving every minute. My, my husband is Greek and Italian, so it works perfectly with all of us crazy East Coasters, even though he's a San Francisco guy and a 49ers fan for all the sports fans watching. We're going to talk about that later. So thank you so much for the congratulations. I was so blessed to have the opportunity to throw this insane marriage soiree in 2019 at the Houdini estate. Yes, the famous Houdini estate, Hollywood. So I, it was so incredible and magical. That was our theme, the magic of old Hollywood. We were there with all the old ghosts, I swear, for all the paranormal fans. And yes, I'm a scream queen at heart, but the ghosts were all around at the famous Houdini estate. You can check it out. You can Google Houdini estate. And so it was incredible. So that was actually a huge, probably the most challenging production to produce of my life and career. And so I took off of acting producing for about two years. We got engaged 2017 and then had the wedding 2019. So I then dove back in, in the fall of 2019, great segue. And 
was very fortunate to have a lot of offers, both as an actress and an actress, producer, executive producer. So I dove in, conquered a bunch of projects for the fall that we shot. I say that so gratefully as ironically, I'll share this. We were in Reno, Nevada, all of December, 2019, filming Mark Klebanoff's uh, TV pilot, web series, streaming series titled Stripped, a dark comedy with the star Casper Van Dien in the lead. I was fortunate to play really the female lead, supporting lead to Casper Van Dien. Um, it's been such a blessing, but we all got sick, like either on set or shortly after. And my husband and I came home December, right at Christmas, 2019. And within a week, he got violently sick. I caught it from him, got violently sick. Now, mind you, I bring it up because it's pre-pandemic, technically pre-pandemic, and we don't need to get into the whole pandemic. We talked about that off the air. But I say it because we both got so sick January of 2020 that our lives really drastically changed. We believe we had COVID-19 at that point and became long haulers. So we talked about this briefly off the air. I want to share that because I want to share that openly. If it in any way can help support, um, give hope and clarity to all of the people who have been affected by COVID-19. I have pre-existing conditions, so it really, really affected me in a very big way. And I'm getting through it and I'm here with you today. And so I hope that I'm an example of hope for everyone. I'm still very much quarantining, self-quarantining my husband and I in our house because of our health and situation. And so I say that because what you can do when you're facing adversity. And I think all the sports fans will really get this and understand you either lay down and give up all hope, or you find you as Ms. Vampy would say, we'll share this for Halloween season. Ms. Vampy would say you dig deep, find your inner vamp and vamp it out. You find your inner fearless being and you choose, and it's a choice to keep forging ahead and moving forward. And that is what we did. It's what I did. And I say that humbly and proudly because I was so sick. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to be quarantined longer than most. And so what do I do? How can I stay creative? How can I stay inspired? What can I choose and forge ahead and make work under these circumstances, which were awful and under the situation and in some way to help support and inspire others. And so I got, I was, became like a visionary, got very creative, got crafty and somehow started producing from home, producing and acting virtually and we'll jump around, but shout out to Red Rooms, which is a limited web streaming TV series that we created, Joshua Butler and I, the creator of the show. We actually shot a proof of concept for part of this project, October of 2019, unbeknownst to us, we'd be in a pandemic shortly later. And 2020 came and I said, I can't sit sick and throw away precious life and time and energy. So we are going to create this virtually from our homes, cast and hire actors who we know, believe in, who are extraordinary, who are all horror stars in their own right, and have them perform in each of their homes. We're going to be a stand and take a stand for this quarantine. Do it right. Do it respectfully. And 
you know, this way we're, we're all separated. We're all healthy, hopefully. And we did this for a few months during the like thick of the pandemic 2020. So that is how life and career have merged together for me, for us, for the people who I love and work with. It's been insane. It's been challenging, but it's been a gift and a blessing. So I share that with you and the viewers. Thank you for letting me do my monologue, Fred. <laughs> Absolutely. First of all, I'm, I'm so glad that you and your husband are, are getting much better. And it's yeah, definitely a scary time. And I love the fact that you made the most out of it. You know, even with all the circumstances again, seemingly against you, you know, it's easy to feel bad for yourself. And understand, understandably, I mean, it's, it was a very depressing time at times. It can still be pretty, you know, depressing with everything going on in the world, but you know, you two got up and you really have, have kind of forged your way forward. And I would love if you could elaborate a little bit about red rooms. So I was checking it out and it looks like such an awesome, like unique concept. We'll link it in the show notes as well. Other than myself shooting, acting in the proof of concept, it what all of our actors performed virtually. So this is so wild for all, for you, Fred, who loves film and creativity and for all the filmmakers watching or TV creators watching. So I had to like really think on my toes and Joshua Butler, the creator of the show, our director, and I called a meeting and I'm like, we are going to take this proof of concept that we shot. I'm not letting it sit. I don't know what's going to happen throughout this mess and we're going to move forward. So we're going to shoot the rest of it and the actors virtually. So it's hysterical for all of you techies out there. We literally, like I call it, I sat in my own video village, I called it, in my home, like on the iPad, on FaceTime, while I watched Joshua, our director, in his home studio, while he then is Skyping in to each of the actors. We shot each actor on a day individually so we could get the best performance out of them. And really, that was so important to both of us. We really wanted to get a great performance in acting because when you're not relying on the typical filmmaking or TV creating, you know, technicals, like having a full crew, we're like literally playing ourselves. Like Josh and I were having pre-rehearsals and meetings with all of the performers and actors like ahead of time where we're having to look at the space that they're in and having to choose, you know, the art direction. We're not art directors. I respect all of these professions so greatly, right? We're having to choose their wardrobe. We're having to choose their lighting. And it was surreal. And we're having to rely on tremendous seasoned actors, which was such a gift. So in fact, I'll shout out. So we're, all of these actors are performing in their space protected in quarantine. So shout out to David Alpay from The Vampire Diaries, Susan Lanier from The Original Hills Have Eyes, Ricky Dean Logan from The Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, Noah Blake from Teen Witch, Teen Wolf, huge star in the 80s. And these people are so talented. And I'm playing Layla Black, who is a female producer in Hollywood. And it is about the dark web. So for all of you techies out there and all of you real, the people who peruse the deep dark web, it sort of has a bit of, if I had to compare it to anything, which I hate doing, but a little bit of like a purge anarchy type of deal where wealthy people, and this is very legit, it's very real, go into these deep, dark web rooms, right? And they pay a lot of money to watch people be held captive, abducted, held captive, and either both psychologically tortured and physically tortured. So we obviously wanted to take the physical torture out of it. We weren't sending effects artists, you know, during a pandemic 
pandemic to go to these people's homes, right? So we did it very psychologically and it's really smart. And we just had such an incredible, Luna Pan came in to do the music, music and music composing music by um, Harmonia Junius did this violin, just, I mean, there'd be too many people to shout out to, but it is an exquisite project that was done on a low budget completely done with us at home. I mean, we really spent the last like year and a half post-production, like ideal post-production on it the best we could. You know, anything I'm going to do, Fred, you know me and Philly Chick Pictures is the owner of the project. And so I want it to be professional and I am going to do, we are going to do my teams the best we can with what we have. And I truly believe we did. So what we're doing right now, and you saw the trailer on YouTube, what we're doing now is I have submitted us to some of the fantastic film festivals. We'd like to do the festival circuit. A lot of the award shows, the bigger award shows, we've now all been submitted. And I'm in the midst, been doing this for months now, of negotiating distribution. So it's a tough game right now. You even know this, doing online streaming content. There is so much content flowing for all the creators and filmmakers. And, you know, I'm talking outside of like a YouTube we're looking for legitimate distribution. I mean, you know, ideally, sure, my dream would be Shutter TV, you know, or Netflix. So stuff like that. People don't understand the time and energy and financing it really takes to bring a project, even a legitimate web series to fruition in a real distributed, deliverable way. So that's been a huge thing on my plate, proudly, you know, throughout the last year and a half, really two years, two years, two years ago, we shot this proof of concept and here we are today. I mean, you've got hundreds of thousands of followers for a reason. These people are so passionate and I, I love this, just the whole community when it comes to the filmmakers, the producers, the actors, like they're, it's like they have a subgenre within a genre. Can you just kind of talk about uh, the current state of the horror movie industry and where you think it's kind of headed in this new age of streaming where you can pretty much find everything you want with just a, a flick of the remote? which is a blessing and a curse. So I will tell you, and just to qualify and clarify something that Fred said, like for those of you who do not know my career, I had a very bizarre career trajectory as an actress and producer, but as an actress in particular, and I'll get to the horror stuff in a second, but the point I'm saying is like most people start out in horror and it's a springboard, especially big name stars, which I'm not, you know, so it's a springboard for them to do that. Like a Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger who did like one of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre part two or what have you. For me, I started out, I was a New York, Philly, New York, act, Philly, Jersey, New York girl, Philly, New York, Jersey actress. And I started out in Tony and Tina's wedding, the Italian, you know, mobster comedy wedding. I did that three years off Broadway equity contract. So I say that because my career was so different. I started out in sitcoms. I moved to LA and I was doing a lot of mobster movies, Sinatra Club with Danny Nucci and Jason Gedrick and as Fox sitcom quintuplets. So all of a sudden and how it started was what inspired me, I was a horror fan, huge horror fan, still am, even as a little girl in the 80s, loved the 80s horror films, which were mainstream, but they did have an element of an indie film vibe and feel to them. So I say that because when I broke in and it was after going to Sundance 2004 and the first Saw franchise film came out mm -hmm. and I paid attention and I'm like, okay, they're really on to something. And we probably talked about this way back when 10 years ago when I came on your show. That being said, 
So I'm a total indie girl. Now, when I first started in broke into the horror world, it was with producers back in New York. We shot back in New York and New Jersey. And my first big title was Kinky Killers. I know. So it started out as Polycarp, but so we all laugh. I still laugh to this day. And I'm like, rest his soul, uh, Oscar nominated Charles Durning from Dog Day Afternoon and Tootsie. I say he's probably rolling in his grave, but I am so grateful for this because now this was a bigger budgeted, but still independent mystery horror thriller. And I got to star in this with Charles Durning, Michael Pere from Eddie and the Cruiser, Streets of Fire, Philadelphia Experiment, uh, huge soap opera stars, Justin Dees out of New York, and Eric Edabari from Witchblade, and just amazing actors. So I bring it up because that was the beginning stages for me of the horror genre. More, I'm a big Brian De Palma fan. I'm a big Hitchcock fan. I love the mysteries, Agatha Christie. So that was my first venture in. Showtime picked up our film and aired it, I would say, three nights a week for two years. Now, mind you, like I said, I was doing mobster movies, Broadway, you know, all these sitcoms. No one knew who I was or cared. I am on this show. Showtime's airing us three nights a week for two years. Fan mail is pouring in. I'm getting invited. They're calling me the new it scream queen, which I embrace. And at that point, you're like, look, for all the viewers and for anyone who's not in the entertainment industry in some way, you can claw and scratch and fight and sweat. And yes, we're all going to blood, sweat and tears it for something we're passionate about and something we want. But Sometimes when you're trying to fit that round peg in a square hole for too long, it is so damaging. It's exhausting. It's soul killing. So here I was doing all these other things without getting a big break or becoming really known. And now this is coming to me easily, um, just effortlessly. Of course, I worked for every minute of it, but it's coming to me and I embraced it. And they're like, you're a scream queen. And I just was so honored. I always say the title was bestowed upon me. You don't just wake up one day, you know, although people try and you go out and you show your boobs and you pour blood on them and you're a scream queen. It's not the way it works in Hollywood. It's not the way it works in the respected horror genre. So it happened for me and I'm so grateful. Then I went on real quickly to do another film with the same group titled I Murders, which was such a gift and a blessing. Ken Del Vecchio produced, Robbie Bryan wrote and directed it. And so this I got to star in with Tony Todd icon, Candyman, uh, William Forsythe, Once Upon a Time in America, Billy D. Williams, yes, Lando Calrissian, and the list goes on and on. Gabrielle Anwar from Scent of a Woman, Frank Grillo, who's a mega star now. Terry Colombino, so Terry Khan now. So I share this because these are again the higher budgeted murder mysteries. I did not know, other than being a fan, that there is segueing back to what you brought up this sort of subculture, sub genres like the cult classic true horror fans. I learned very, very quickly. And so, of course, acting opposite Tony Todd was such a gift and they welcomed and embraced me. And so my next venture into this sort of subculture was the wonderful Greg Lamerson, who in 1988, before our time, certainly before your time, Fred, even before mine, 1988 did a film titled in New York, Slime City, became, and he's a brilliant writer, became a well-known like cult 
horror, indie, indie, raw, that sort of trauma. In fact, Lloyd Kaufman is in the sequel. And so he became so well known in the indie horror world because he's legitimately talented. And 20 years later, when I became a known scream queen in Hollywood, he came to me after I murders with, I'm going to say, yeah, it was 2008, beginning of 2008. He came to me with a script, Slime City Massacre, which was a sequel to his famous cult classic, Slime City, that had a built-in cult horror fan base. He had people like Roy Frumkies and anyone who's a big horror fan will know all these names, Street Trash, all of these films from the 80s. So he was so well known in that, in that subculture genre. He cast me in Slime City Massacre, asked me to come on as a co-producer. I did. I was really interested in doing my due diligence and learning more and more about the cult genre. And lo and behold, from this experience for me, I humbly won the B-Movie Golden Cobb Award. B-Movie Award in 2010 for Scream Queen Horror Actress of the Year, 2009 technically, but it was in 2010. And it just built this fan base for me that I am so, like you mentioned, so grateful for Fred and the viewers. They will come with me, whatever genre. I do a lot of comedy. I do a lot of indie film. I do TV. Whatever genre I do, they're there supporting, watching, helping, assisting, promoting. It is such a gift. I always compare them sort of to the soap opera fans. You know, the soap opera fans for any women watching, especially, you know, they are so diehard. They are so true blue. I've done some crappy acting work. I'm the first one to own it and admit it. And they will still support me as I cry on Twitter and social media. But it's been such a gift. And so where the horror genre is in the current state, it's been really interesting because I'm a fan of the originals. I'm a true blue horror fan and I'm a fangirl, fangirl. And so for me, I will only watch the originals. I will sometimes watch the remakes. They're never going to hit the mark for me like the originals. I'm old school. I'm old school in filmmaking and, and what excites me as a viewer. So we have too many remakes. Let me say that with the state of affairs as, as it is now. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Across the board, too many, too many remakes, uh, too, too much many. Uh, reused IP. One hundred percent. Like, leave it alone. It was, it was what it was, and had the attention and fame for a reason. That being said, on the flip side, too many remakes. On the flip side, and I am a true supporter of creative people. I am a true supporter of following your dreams, doing whatever it takes to be where you can be and do the best you can. I'm saying this, though, because I'm also going to be authentic and real with this, that there is so much content now and so much oversaturation in the horror and thriller and sci-fi world that... I will stand behind this, that anyone with a camera or an iPhone woke up one day a few years ago and decided they're going to be a filmmaker without taking a class, without studying, without even doing their homework, without taking producing workshops like I did for years and years and called themselves a filmmaker. Some have natural talent, so let's acknowledge that others don't. But what's happening now, sadly, and I'm seeing this trend and I will always end on a positive, but let's stay with the sort of negative for a moment. What's happening now, you can turn on any Netflix, Amazon Prime, respectfully, and I'm a big Amazon Prime supporter, but you watch Prime Video and you've got, you know, Lionsgate, and I work with Lionsgate, I love Lionsgate, but Lionsgate lately is acquiring, you know, this umbrella subsidiary horror world where I'm watching these films and I'm going, is this seriously on TV and am I, am I on streaming and am I spending two hours of my life? 
that I can't get back. And we all say that, but it's the truth and you know it. And Fred's laughing because it's true. You know, am I spending this time watching something that is not worthy of being on Prime Video that I respect so much? Is I watch Netflix sometimes and I'm like, is this really happening in the horror world? Is this what we have turned into because they just want to make money and want to pump out content? And we all saw this during the pandemic. So, you know, I'm right. That being said, that's happening. So that's a negative. On the positive side, I think that filmmakers, real true filmmakers are having more opportunity than ever before, whether it's doing things virtually during the pandemic like we did, whether it's being able to create something so worthy, so artistic, so beautiful on a micro budget. It used to take $500,000 to be able to create a decent indie horror film. You can do it now for $50,000. And yes, you can. So that's a positive that I want to share and inspire all the young filmmakers out there. You can do this and you can make quality do it, make quality, create quality content. It doesn't take the finance it used to back in my day when we were working on real film, but create art and quality, please. You don't need to make garbage. There's enough out there. So that's the positive And that's the state of where we are right now, whether it's again, and we talked about this briefly off air real quickly, I feel like just like in the world right now, there's the haves and have nots and the gray area is going away and everything is so black and white. And so it's kind of trickling down into the indie film world, especially in horror. And so we need to stand up, step up whatever content we're creating and create from the heart, create art and create quality content. Fantastic insight. And I'm glad you covered your career too, because I was going to ask you right after that about that, but I appreciate you covering that. And we always like to ask our guests a lot of random questions, some rapid fire questions, just questions you normally wouldn't expect just to get to know them better. So fans get to know them better. Are you ready? I think so. I was born ready, Fred. <laughs> All right. What is your favorite cheat meal or late night snack? Oh, so I'm a pizza girl, which I never eat or rarely, obviously, because I'm always on a diet, but I'm an East Coast Philly chick, Philly Jersey, New York chick. Pizza. And you think I can find good pizza out here in LA? Very slim to none. What is your most awkward moment as an actress? Oh, I have had so many, but I think one that's important for viewers and other actors to know, and I talk about this a lot in my interviews when I'm interviewed in magazines and stuff, that I learned early on because I started producing fairly young when I, I really was producing back in New York, but then I've been in LA for almost 20 years. So I've been producing for 20 years, almost next year will be 20 years. So I used to think, and this is important. So I used to think that as an actor, you know, you leave an audition and even when you crush it and you think you've done like an Oscar winning performance and you don't book the role and you're like, what is going on here? Like, what did I do wrong? And I, I'm very self-critical, so I make myself wrong. But here's what's so awkward. I will never forget this. I was young. I was in New York and I auditioned for a film and I thought I crushed it. And I went out into the waiting area where I was, the cast director, I think, asked me to wait. And the director came out and said to me, Brooke, I just want you to know that you crushed it. Your performance was extraordinary. I absolutely loved everything you did but I'm going to let you know right now that you're not getting the role. And here's why you remind me so much of my ex-wife. You smell like her. I think you're wearing the same perfume. Laugh, Fred, laugh. Oh I think you're wearing the same perfume and you look like her. It was uncanny. You reminded me so much of her and I cannot work next to you. I'm like, 
Well, good to know. And I actually appreciated his honesty, but what a learning lesson that sometimes we don't book the part having nothing to do with our talent. And that was an awkward moment. I'm glad you took it in stride. And yeah, it, it is it is nice. Like I interviewed recently a, a video game creator who actually he created Assassin's Creed. And he talked about how like I asked him, like, what's your best advice for success? And he goes, I don't I don't chase success. Like you should be happy creating. You can't once your product is out there or an audition is out there or whatever, you can't control it. So just just enjoy the process. And it, it makes so much sense because you, you don't know. You never know if you're gonna go to a casting director and you remind them of <laughs> I love that. Thank you for sharing that on air because he's that's brilliant. He's 100% right. And as I've gotten the older I've gotten and the longer I've been in the business that I'm really working hard to maintain that philosophy because you just never know things that I thought were going to things where I've had, you know, TV series and and they're telling me you're going to make $20,000 an episode when I was young in, in TV studios. And then you know, you don't, then they go, they decide last minute that they're going to go with someone else or my big break in, in the movie 54, where I played Mark Ruffalo's girlfriend. And they sat me down and said, you're projected to be like the next Marissa Tomei in my cousin Vinny, who was my idol icon, you know, and I'm thinking I'm going to be like this new movie star. And then you get cut out. I got cut out of the, the, my two scenes. They went over budget at Miramax and they cut five scenes out of the film, the last five scenes. And we never even finished filming my two scenes. So, you know, you just don't know the trajectory of a career. And so you, you, you want, you choose to, like you said, you know, like the whole process that I know it's so cliche, but love the process, embrace the moments, embrace the challenges. In fact, honor the sad times because it makes the good stuff, which I've had a lot of good stuff. In fact, I've had so much good stuff inside of the 10 years since, you know, we talked on air last, I think, or eight years, whatever it is. And so it makes those moments, all the awards, all the acknowledgements so much more special. That's awesome. Now you and I both have significant others who are not in the entertainment industry, like at all. So what advice do you have for any actors, any creators who are trying to juggle married life, family life uh, with family that, that's not in the industry while also kind of trying to stay on that right path of their career? So I chose uh, I, I chose to marry outside of the industry and I'm so blessed that I, I took a while, I waited. I, I put everything into my career until I was a bit older and then I knew I was ready to open my heart to a healthy relationship and that's what I did and I manifested the perfect husband for me. No one's perfect, I'm perfectly imperfect, but I manifested him. And so my advice to anyone, especially if you're going to marry outside of the industry, which I actually think and feel that it was the healthiest thing that I could have done because as much as you want your person who should be your best friend, your marriage should be your best friend, you want them to support and understand your industry and what it takes. And it takes a lot of sacrifice. It takes a lot of pay to play financially. It takes a lot viewers. So you want to find someone who supports that, even if they're not in it, they, you need them to understand it, to know that if you have to go away and do a film for six, eight, month, whatever, weeks at a time, three months at a time, you know, that your person will support that and honor that. And I can tell you as a single woman until recently, if you, you know, however, six years ago, I did not always have that. When I dated people outside of the industry, there were a lot of times that 
men did not understand what it took and the sacrifice it took for me. So that is challenging. So you want they you have to be with someone who understands. They don't have to be in it, but they need to understand it. They need to acknowledge it. They need to support it. My husband's so amazing. He's a retired fire chief. So I'm really lucky. He still works, you know, consulting. He's in a, an elite group of firefighters and um that he does consulting now. But he's so cute and I'm so blessed. Shout out to Mark. And I'm so lucky that he moved down from San Francisco for me to, to Hollywood, to Los Angeles. And so he's now immersed in it so much with all of my friends and I, the couples that we date and stuff. So it's really cute and fun, Fred, where he now, like, he'll be on a set. He'll help me. He'll help me produce his stuff, you know, and he'll he'll help me pick takes when I'm trying to pick takes. He'll help me audition when I have to self-tape or do voiceovers. So I'm really blessed. So that's what I have to say for advice Someone who, and there are people who loathe the entertainment business, rightly so, I understand it completely. But, you know, for all the single people out there, you cannot be with someone who does not have an appreciation in some way for the entertainment industry. That's the best advice I can say. And and lastly, you also have to respect their feelings and have to respect their career as well and have to really open your mind to merging the two also too i I like it when i talk to my fiance who's not in the entertainment industry about certain things or sports things and i find that those conversations are more entertaining and you kind of you get a fresh perspective right like we're so deep in in like our respective industries that we're we're just we have like we have tunnel vision whereas sometimes you hear something from a family member or something other and it's like oh wait that 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 makes sense It, it kind of keeps that perspective 100% and they can be more objective like my husband's really objective like when we're watching when we're assembling footage in post-production or something and I'm going like okay my director and I are trying to choose a take but you know like he's so objective which is so great you know I love to get like a like a layman's opinion who's not in the business because they're really he's very he's honest and that's so important to me and you're right and I can tell you I can tell for all the people watching who are together there were times where I dated people in the industry I often dated people in the industry prior to my husband because I thought I had to or that's what you're immersed in so that's who you meet that's who you meet out and on set and so at times it got very depressing, Fred, you know what I'm saying? Where you're, you're both up for a big TV series and you don't get it, or the director's up for a big movie and you're like wallowing in this like chronic entertainment negativity, that energy and energy is so important. And so that's something that I love. My husband's so high energy and positive energy that it's a great yin and yang for when I'm, when I don't book something and I'm crying my eyes out late at night, you know, and he's so positive for me you know it's great so i agree with you and i love that your fiance does that as well where she's such a good support system because she can be objective yeah and it, and it just re- reminds you you know as much as we love what we're doing there's another world out there there's still a life to live okay if you don't get a part if you're not in a show you don't get this gig it's like the sun's still going to come out there's still nature like there's still a life to live so i think that's definitely I- I- important to keep in mind now here, here's the crazy thing you have done so many different films, so many different series, so many different productions. I mean, I, I think your earliest credit is ni- 1997, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Of all your awesome films, your work, everything you've done, besides the stuff that we've talked about, besides the stuff that all the horror fans know you for, all the longtime fans know you for, 
Uh, what is one project of yours that you think is super underrated that you would love people to check out? Uh, thank you for asking that. So I think um, I got to shout out to two and, I, and I'm probably missing a ton more, but one, I think Sinatra Club for all the mobster movie fans and mobsters. Like to me, it's something I was one of the main producers on it. It took seven years of my life from finding the script in 2004 to filming in 2009 to having it distributed in 2011. So that's obviously something I love so much and I'm so passionate about. I really think it's a wonderful film directed by James Petrocci, starring Danny Nucci, Jason Gedrick, Ellen Hallman, who's about to star in the next Matrix. So really wonderful cast and crew. That being said, so I'm really proud of it. So you can still watch that. It's streaming. It's actually on, I think, Tubi. It's on Plex TV. Look at IMDb, whatever. That's one I'm so proud of. And that was like a $2 million budgeted film with some really great Michael Norrie from Flashdance, just great named actors in it, veteran actors. The other one is a lower budget film. I've got a shout out to, it's one of my more recent, so we have never talked about it on air before, Fred, but shout out to Half New Year, my like real Philly, you know, sort of pseudo little brother, Drew McEnany. He wrote the script, then sat down and did full rewrites with Georgia Menides, who was a badass writer producer. Drew starred in this. It was his vehicle in Hollywood, coming from Philly to Hollywood, you know, as an Italian kid in Philly, like creating this vehicle for himself to star in as we all should and do. He did it and did it on a low budget. It's titled Half New Year, you guys. It's on still stream, it's on demand for a couple of years, still streaming on Amazon Prime. And it was through Comedy Dynamics, which is a really respectable distribution company. And so Drew wrote the lead role for him. He wrote his big sister and we're like big brother and sister in real life. Like we bicker all the time. He wrote it very early on for me to play Pam DeLuca, Pam DeLuca from South Philly, who I love, love, love. And one of my favorite roles to play. And so we got to act in this with Bo Youngblood and Shanley Caswell and Rome Flynn, all these young, incredible TV stars. And Jeff Dye, who won Last Comic Standing. And like the list goes on and on. So I don't want to forget anyone, but there's too many people to mention. But like everybody check out Half New Year. I'm really proud of this. It's it's you know what it is. It's a film that I love that I came up watching as a young woman, you know, or in college watching like films like The Brothers McMullen and of course Swingers, which is a little bit higher budget. But you know what I'm saying? Like back in the day when indie films, even Napoleon Dynamite, right, which I think it has a little bit of a flair of that. And like all these indie films that went to Sundance and all the big festivals back in the day had heart. And I think that's what we're missing sometimes in the indies now. And, you know, but a lot of the, you know, A-list stars are now acting in indie films. So they're able to have this experience. And a lot of actors like myself are not given these opportunities because they go with big names now, even for the indie world, even for Sundance films. So something like this to me is so special and just has so much heart and is sort of a throwback, feels very 80s, like indie film vibe to me. And so I think it's really worthy of taking a look, you guys. What's the best piece of advice you give anybody for success? You dropped a lot of gems, but is there anything that we didn't cover uh, that you like to pass along to the audience? First and foremost, let's not judge success. I've done that. I've beat myself up. I've judged success by how much money I've made on films and TV shows in my past. I've judged myself for success by, you know, what big stars I've worked with. I've judged myself on success by how many awards I've won. I have a trophy case. I say this respectfully and humbly downstairs that my husband built for me in our house that 
you know, houses, uh, 50 trophies of a 20 year career. And I am grateful and blessed every moment of that. But let's not judge success by that. And let's not judge success by what is on the outside. It's how you are on the inside, how we feel. There are times where I've had huge success, what would be perceived as success on a project in the, you know, public eye. And it doesn't feel good to me, or I killed myself to get there or get that project out or promote it or what have you. That is not true success. True success is what makes your heart sing. True success is when I feel good inside, when I'm inspired and hopefully I inspire others. True success is when you commit to a project and bring it to fruition and it just feels right. It feels good along the way. That is true success. So my advice to you is what makes your heart sing? What excites you? What inspires you? Do not create a film, a TV series, host a show. Don't do that just to get to the finish line. I've done that. I'm guilty of it. I own it. It's not fun and it doesn't feel good. Don't look at what's on the end. Yes, you must look at the big picture and how to market it. And, and marketing, PR, sales is hugely important. Or no one will ever see what you raised money for and what you spent years of your life creating. But do it for the heart and the art, like I said earlier. And don't look at the final product. Look at the journey, like Fred said along the way and like his other guests said along the way. Look at the journey embrace it, be in it, be in it with all your heart and do it because it excites you and you love it, not for any other reason, or it will not fulfill you and you're apt to fail. I love it. Thank is, there you. Any, is there anything you wish that I did ask you in this interview? Oh, can we shout out to the, to, so you already shouted out to the Philly Tainment Celebrity Hall of Fame, which I, can I just shout out real quickly, like Philly Tainment, oh my gosh, uh, beginning of the year in January, Philly Tainment, I was a big fan, they've been fans of mine for years, reached out to me and told me that I was being nominated and inducted into the Philly Tainment Celebrity Hall of Fame. I don't even know what to say still. I'm still like shocked because to me, I'm still that little Philly chick who's like this indie film and screen queen and indie film known whatever. And, you know, whatever, like I'm not, my goals haven't all been met yet. So for me to stand next to on a site, Will Smith, M. Night Shyamalan, Tina Fey, Pink, Patti LaBelle, Boys to Men, Kobe Bryant, Kobe, Kobe Bryant, like, I don't even know what to say. So other than I am still in absolute gratitude. So shout out to that. And oh, Fred, can you ask me about the 1000 Women in Horror book? Yeah. There <laughs> Tell us about the 1000 Women in Horror book where you were featured amongst 1000 Women in Horror just enshrined in this awesome book about horror history. That's pretty cool, right? Horror history, Fred. Thank you. I know it's so silly. I'm so honored. I'm so excited. I found out about it. It happened. It came out end of last year. I didn't even find out about it till this year. Shout out to Stacey Lane Wilson, one of my best friends, one of my amazing writer directors who said, did you know you were in this book? We're in this book. I'm like, what? What? She read it. Someone told her about it. I thought, so it's 1000 Women in Horror. It is this big, I have it over here on my, on my desk because I'm so proud. It is this thick, commemorative coffee table historical book that Alexandra Heller Nicholas in Australia wrote and honored her top 10 1,000 women in horror from 1895 to 2018. I'm like, 
I am in this. I am in this. There's we talk, a, we talk, I'm sorry to interrupt. We talk about we talked about the dedication of horror movie fans and horror movie admirers and followers, but that that is a testament to the genre right there. One hundred percent. The the fans, the supporters. I mean, she's a very successful author in and of her own right, and writer, and and writes for some mainstream media. So this is huge. But so not only am I with my peers, who I'm so honored to stand next to, but you read it and there are my icons from Elvira to Elizabeth Taylor, to Joan Collins, to Karen Black, to Yvonne DiCarlo, and the list goes on and on. And you're like, like, what, what? I'm listed here. This is truly an honor. Like it has been the worst year of my life or a year and a half since the pandemic, like everyone else. And in some ways, it's been extraordinary and a blessing. And I think I've had the opportunity for once because I'm like you, Fred, we're go, 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 18 hour days, nonstop workaholics, creating, creating, you know, promoting. And so for me to be able to sit back, it's given me the opportunity to really sit in gratitude and realize how blessed and lucky I am. And so here I am, 2021 Philly Tainment. 1,000 Women in Horror book. Uh, I won Best Supporting Actress in a TV series for the TV pilot stripped from Mark Klebanoff with Casper Van Dien. That happened very end of 2020 at Nova Fest. Shout out to Nova Fest. Um, I won a Telly Award for being doing morning shows on uh, Good Day Sacramento, the beginning of 2021. We won because we were positive for masquerades, wearing masks during the pandemic. And we did this whole charades masquerade. It's called Masquerades with Brooke Lewis Bellis. Like what is going on? And so again, in hopes to inspire for the viewers, like sometimes when we least expect things, sometimes when we finally sit down, stop for just a moment embrace getting gratitude for what we do have it opens and i know fred and i were talking about this off air before and we're gonna like you know what's happened for you fred again i'm so proud of you that you are now interviewing you went from being a sports host star to interviewing like a-list celebrities and doing movie junket press and etc like it's incredible because you're inspired and now i'm inspired but like when we let go we don't claw and we manifest and we open to the world and the universe and God and whatever we believe in. And we just stop for a moment. It's sort of, we allow it to come our way for a moment. And it's precious. What, what a high note to end this interview on, Brooke. Thank you so much for the time. You can check out Brooke at phillychickpictures.com. You can also check out brooklewisbellas.com. I know you're all over Instagram and Twitter. Can you plug those as well? Yes, I'm all over Instagram and Twitter. You are correct. I am at Brooke Lewis LA under Brooke Lewis Bellis. And same thing on Twitter at Brooke Lewis LA. And I have a Facebook fan page at Brooke Lewis LA. And last but not least, we got a shout out to my Philadelphia Eagles. BrookeLewisBellis.com, PhillyShakePictures.com. Brooke, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. I love you, Fred. Congratulations again. Give your love to my, to, give my love to your fiance. I'll give your love to my husband. And let's do this. Let's not wait eight, 10 years again. I've got to come back and keep up the great work. You are amazing. I want to shout, say that and shout to your viewers. You. He's not only amazing professionally, he's amazing personally. And we go back a long way. And I'm very grateful for people like you who have supported my career for a very long time.